Genesis chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 11 through verse 21. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. With thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herbs of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His word. O gracious God and heavenly Father, again we thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you as we come to this particular topic this evening, that you would lead us and guide us into your truth. Help us to understand your word and strengthen our faith and encourage us and help us to be mindful of all the reasons that we have to be thankful for your grace and your mercy in our lives through Jesus Christ. And Father, we just pray now that you bless our, uh, bless our, your word to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> The last time we considered the covenant of works that God established with Adam in the garden, when God had commanded Adam in Genesis 2, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And as you remember, Adam as the father of the human race was our representative or our federal head in this uh, covenant of works. God had promised Adam life for obedience and death for disobedience. Adam, of course, as we see here, chose disobedience and death when he sinned against God by eating that very forbidden fruit. And the testimony notes regarding this sin that by this principle of covenant and headship, the guilt and penalty of sin came upon all men by Adam's one sin. And so because of Adam's sin, all of mankind became incapable of fulfilling the duties and the obligations of the covenant of works, being now, of course, dead in their sins and transgressions and unable to do any good thing. 
Enmity also marked the relationship between God and man where there once was intimate fellowship. And this was evidenced first by the guilt and shame of Adam and Eve when they sought to hide from God in the garden because uh, they were naked. It was later confirmed um, when God set curses upon Adam and Eve and then also the serpent. And then finally when God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, banishing them from his holy presence which is a great picture of Adam's sin exiling all of mankind from God's holy presence. Well, it is at this point that the Westminster Confession in uh, chapter 7, paragraph 3, goes on to note this, that the Lord was pleased to make a second covenant, commonly called the covenant of grace, whereby he freely offers to sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ requiring of them faith in him that he may be saved that they may be saved and promising to give to all those that are ordained to eternal life his holy spirit to make them willing and able to believe now, this is called the covenant of grace because of course it's rooted in God's amazing abounding grace toward the undeserving sinner you see God didn't have to once again engage mankind in a covenant, after the initial covenant of works had been broken and violated. Certainly the Lord would have been just in allowing Adam and Eve to, uh, and, and their posterity to suffer the ultimate consequence of their disobedience and sin, of course, which would be death. But it was according to God's good will and pleasure, out of His abounding grace, for the purpose of glorifying Himself and exalting His name, that he was pleased to make the second covenant with mankind. And that truly is grace. Again, we must make the important distinction that the covenant of works wasn't a covenant of grace, because Adam, in his created state, was upright and holy in God's sight, and he had the ability to freely choose between good and evil. By his work of obedience, he could have attained life. But because he sinned, and thus plunged all mankind after him into sin, well, he no longer had that free will or original righteousness. And so any intervention by God at this point was out of pure grace. And so this second covenant at this point, again, is out of grace. It's what becomes necessary for our salvation in order for us to be restored to a right relationship with God, our Creator, we need this covenant of grace. Now what makes this covenant all the more amazing is that God introduces Adam and all of mankind to this covenant of grace in the midst of pronouncing judgment upon the serpent, the woman, and the man. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is the first good news. The first glimpse that God will intervene by giving the promise of a Savior and a Redeemer. And this promised seed of the woman will be the covenant promise, ultimately fulfilled in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, all the rest of Genesis, indeed all the rest of Scripture's, Uh, uh, from this point on, are devoted to the revealing and unfolding of this covenant promise 
uh, that promised seed who would bring about redemption. But before we consider the various parts and features of the, <coughs> excuse me, the covenant of grace, there's first another covenant that we need to, uh, to make mention of. And this covenant isn't mentioned explicitly in the scriptures, although it certainly is implied. And this is what we refer to as the covenant of redemption. This covenant becomes the basis for the covenant of grace. The covenant of redemption is that covenant that theologians use to describe the inter-Trinitarian covenant established in eternity past. The parties are God the Father and Christ the Son representing the elect of God. And the commands are that the Son would become a man, uh, taking on sinful flesh in order to dwell among us. And we see this reference to this command when Jesus says in John 5.30, I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And so the Son uh, agreed to uh, submit himself to the Father's will. And he was sent by God to become a man to secure our redemption. Well, a second uh, command of this covenant was given uh, to the Son that he must fulfill perfectly the obligations of the covenant of works. That is, he perfectly and uprightly had to obey the law of God. And it was for this reason that Jesus said at his baptism in Matthew 3, when John uh, when he, Jesus wanted to be baptized, and John said, No, I should be baptized by you. But Jesus' response is, Permit it to be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had to perfectly fulfill the law of God in all aspects. Or as the writer of the Hebrews notes in, uh, regarding Jesus, that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then a third command was that even though Jesus the Son kept the law of God perfectly and was without sin, he still must submit himself to suffer the curse of the covenant on behalf of those whom he came to save. And so in other words, Jesus had to die. And in that covenant of redemption, he agreed, the Son agreed to submit to the curse of death. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So Jesus was obedient to all these commands, again, even to the point of death. But God the Father also gave Jesus the Son great promises. Again, covenants often have uh, duties and obligations or commands and promises. And in this covenant of redemption... The one promise was that God would sustain the Son during His humiliation. And of course, this God ultimately fulfilled when He raised Jesus from the dead uh, on the third day. God also promised that the Son would be exalted after His suffering. And again, this He did, as Paul describes in Philippians 2, saying, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him, and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And then finally, God promised that uh, the Son, God the Father promised the Son that the salvation of the elect would be secured and guaranteed by 
His redemptive work. In Romans 5, we read this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that redemption was truly accomplished. And so this is the covenant of redemption. And again, it secures for us and readies for us the covenant of grace. As we now turn to the covenant of grace and we look at the the different features of the covenant, again, the parties, the parties are God and undeserving sinners with special reference to the elect, those whom God had chosen before the foundation of the world. And again, as in the previous covenants where we've considered God is the initiator and He is the one who sets the terms. He didn't bargain with sinful man on the various uh, conditions of the covenant. God set it forth even having determined it before the foundation of the world. God initiated this covenant and these terms out of His abundant grace and mercy. And so the commands and the promises and even the penalties are all rooted in the abounding grace of God. Well, what are those commands? What are those, the duties and obligations? Well, the commands of the covenant of grace are two, and they're very clear and simple. Repent and believe. This was the call, of course, of Jesus when he first appeared publicly in his ministry, preaching and teaching in Mark 1, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then later we see that it becomes the, uh, the proclamation of the apostles as they now go forth as Jesus' representatives throughout all the earth, saying in Acts 2, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then God, through His covenant of grace, calls all mankind to repent and believe in the gospel. And again, this is a command that all mankind is obligated to fulfill. But there's a problem. Not all mankind responds and fulfills the command. In fact, all of mankind, because of their dead sinful nature, can't respond And so the grace of the covenant of grace is seen here in that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, enlightens and quickens the hearts of the elect so that they might be able to respond to this covenant call, so that they might repent and believe, thus enabling them to fill these covenant obligations. And again, this is the very emphasis that the Apostle Paul makes in Ephesians 2. Where he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Here we see that faith itself is a gift of God's amazing grace. And so as we even as we considered this morning, there's no work that is ascribed to man. It is all of God's abounding grace. But God's grace doesn't stop there. He's given us promises as well. God has promised that if we repent and believe, then He will be, uh, because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ the Son, that He will then forgive us of our sins, and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness comes from God alone, and He gives it to those who sincerely in faith call upon Him. God also promises us renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now this is both the initial regeneration of our hearts as well as the promised comforter that Jesus promised His disciples. That comforter was the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit that resides within us, that leads us, guides us, prompts us, convicts us of our sin and renews our strength and our faith in Christ. And the Spirit is given as a down payment of sorts. Again, Paul in Ephesians 1 says this, Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. And so the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that God will give to us that everlasting inheritance of eternal life with Him in glory. And so that's how the the Holy Spirit is like this down payment. We get to enjoy it now, and it works in us now. The Spirit works in us now, helping to assure us that even something greater is yet to come. But then, as well, at that time, and as well as along the way, God also promises to bless us for our obedience to Him. Now again, let it be known for certain that it's not our obedience that gains us these promises. But it's our obedience by God's grace that gives evidence of our faith in Him. That glorifies Him in all that we do and thus entitles us for, uh, to blessing upon blessing both now and forever. In the parable of the talents, Jesus demonstrates this in Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so the Spirit working in us enables us to obey and to uh, serve the Lord. And then He blesses us upon blessing and giving us more. Well, what about the penalties for violating this covenant? Well, as you mentioned, the covenant of grace is made with all sinful mankind and calls all mankind to repent and believe. But of course, not all heed this command. What then is the penalty that awaits them? Well, the chief penalty is, of course, remaining under the condemnation and curse of sin. Those who don't repent and believe don't have any forgiveness. They don't have any substitutes to offer. They have not made atonement with God. Their punishment, as it was promised to Adam, is death. Even eternity in the lake of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But there are also penalties ascribed even to those who do believe. See, we're penalized because even though we've been freed from the condemnation of sin and death, well, we're not perfectly righteous as Christ was, at least not yet. We still sin. And if we still sin, our sin is still open to punishment. But this punishment is ultimately for our own good. For it's out of God's grace and love for us that He disciplines us and chastises us when we sin so that we might be convicted of our sin, so that we might, be, uh, that we might confess it and turn from it, seeking His mercy for forgiveness. Such discipline is necessary for us and shows us God's love towards us. Right of the Hebrews notes in 12 verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And so it's part of this penalty of the, of the covenant, violating the covenant by, by our sin, is that we're chastised and disciplined so that we might then return to the Father. It's through this process and restoration by the grace of God that the Lord then works to form and fashion us after the likeness of His perfect Son. And so part of that is to continue to 
conform and fashion us into the image of Christ. Well, and this then becomes the ultimate goal of the covenant of grace. That God, who is rich in mercy and abounding in grace, would so uh, engage in deserving sinners to redeem them and secure their salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. Because of what Jesus did for us, because of His perfectly keeping the covenant of works, even during uh, enduring the penalty and curse of death that we deserved, because of, of this we have forgiveness of sins and peace and reconciliation with God. Again, this is what Paul declares in Romans 5, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And so truly in Jesus, we now enjoy the free gift of eternal life as a blessed reward of this covenant of grace. One final point about the covenant of grace that we'll actually consider in more detail, uh, Lord willing, next time. And that is the covenant of grace is just one covenant. It's unified. And we've made reference to this before, that all the other covenants that God had made with mankind over the years that are revealed in the scriptures with the exception of the covenant of works. Again, that was a, a different brand. But for example, the covenant God made with Noah with Abraham, with Israel, with David, and the New Covenant, all these are rooted in God's covenant of grace. They're different administrations of the one covenant of grace. And each of these covenants reveals over time the fuller and complete covenant of grace, ultimately leading us to the New Covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what He has accomplished for us. And so I was mindful of God's covenant of grace for us. That again, He could have left Adam and Eve in their condition. But no, He gave them this promise. He entered into this covenant with them. And by doing that with all of us, so that we might have the hope of the forgiveness of our sins, of restoration and reconciliation with God our Father and our Creator. And of course, that blessed of eternal life in His glorious presence forever and ever. So truly praise God for His amazing grace. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh gracious God in heaven, we praise You and thank You for this reminder of the covenant of grace. And just we're mindful of how in our sin natures we are truly undeserving of Your grace. And yet you have been so rich toward us. And you have poured out upon us blessing upon blessing through Jesus Christ. And sending your own Son to be tempted and tried in all ways that we are. To endure all the miseries of this life. Even the greatest misery and suffering and the curse of death. He endured for our sakes. So that He could identify with us. So that He could be that perfect Savior and Redeemer. 
and once for all perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so we praise You and thank You, O Father, that You have made this covenant and that Your Spirit is at work even now in our hearts calling us to repent and believe, enabling us to respond, giving us new life, and that we might truly walk in faith, that Your Spirit continues to be with us, to lead us and guide us, to comfort us, to convict us, and to bring us back to You, to continuously conform us to the perfect image of Your Son, Jesus. And so, Father, we just praise You and thank You for these things. Again, we thank You for this, the Lord's Day, the the day of rest that has been, the day of worship, a time of fellowship. And as we look to begin the week that lies ahead, we ask, Father, that You would truly hold us fast in Your hand. We know all the temptations of the evil one abound in the world. We pray that You would keep us safe, that You would help us to always keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith that we might walk in His truth, that we might bring glory and honor and praise to Your name in all that we do. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.